John was a hot-headed kid. He was always outspoken. He acted on impulse frequently without thinking things through. Also, he drank from time to time, which hasn't been talked about, but he did. And he was the kind of guy that had a very low capacity for liquor. All it took would be a two or three drinks, maybe. And um, he you know, was liable to write a letter or, or make a phone call, just let his true feelings out, no matter how uh, impolitic it may have been. We know he had a temper. A lot has been made of Jeff K. Jr.'s charm and his charisma and so on. But what's not really talked about so much is how he was capable of lashing out and how that could get him into trouble. Welcome to episode five of Fatal Voyage, the death of John F. Kennedy Jr. with me, ex-homicide detective Colin McLaren. By the mid-1990s, JFK Jr. was the toast of New York and arguably the most famous man in America. The little boy who saluted his father's coffin on his third birthday had grown into a handsome, athletic, ambitious young role model. The world was his oyster and he reveled in it, the media, the social life, the attention. He was good looking. So he would walk around in kind of almost like the New York was his set. Each day he had a different outfit or a beret on. He would take to the streets, exercising, doing pull-ups in the park, riding his bike around, always had a different outfit or with his shirt off. So you know he's doing this because it was feeding his ego and he loved it. But as we discovered in the last episode, Junior's courting of the press and his love of the limelight was beginning to grow into something he could no longer control. Well, there was one or two photographers that were on him relentlessly. They were just always up in their faces, constantly following them day in, day out, everywhere they went. You know, they would get mouthy with them. One of the photographers, I also saw later in front of the loft one day, John, go after this photographer and chase him. As this clip from ABC News at the time shows, the pressure was beginning to tell. So I just asked um, any, you know, privacy and Guys, uh, the room you can give her. If she makes that adjustment. We'd greatly appreciate it. John Kennedy has lived his life in the camera's eye. But in October 1996, just after his honeymoon, the press frenzy is at its peak. He hopes to make a deal. We'll stand here, pose, answer your questions, and then you go away. Hey, little John's on the way. Little John. But if Junior's temper and occasional tendency to lash out was proving to be a revelation for the millions who followed his exploits in the celebrity magazines, the truth was he had always had a short fuse. Here's reporter Leon Wagner, who had been close to the Kennedy family for decades. When he was a student at Brown University, he got in a great deal of trouble because he just wouldn't show up for classes. He would take trips overseas when he should have been at Brown studying or taking tests. And when he was called on it, he reacted by screaming and yelling at a professor. And Jackie had to write a letter of apology to the professor saying that she would ensure that John would, would never do anything like that again and please forgive him and allow him to come back to school. You know, that, that, that's, that's as hot-headed as you get to call out a professor. Fellow reporter Andy Tillett. Don't get me wrong, he was, by all accounts, a great guy, a nice guy, he was charming, he was fascinating, and he had a magnetic personality. And for the most part, everyone did like him. 
He was easy to like, he was a likable person. But he could also be impetuous, he was reckless, he'd lose his temper, or he'd say and do things which he'd later come to regret. He was like his uncle Teddy in a certain sense. He would say outrageous things, then have to take them back. But with Teddy, Teddy was surrounded by aides and people who would filter him and quiet him down when, when he got outraged. But John, of course, had no such aides and hence no filter. And um, from time to time, he, he would just say incredibly insulting things to people and, and then regret it. Was Kennedy's temper going to become a factor in his eventual death or make him the kind of enemies that would prefer to see the hot-headed young Kennedy quietly disappear? I've come to New York to do some digging into Junior's final turbulent years for myself, and I'm going to reveal a shocking and until now buried incident that showed a very different side to John John, the Crown Prince of Camelot. James, the FBI file here. Latent fingerprints have been taken off a letter that finished up, I think, being delivered. See that? Been delivered to Joe Biden's office in Washington, allegedly signed by JFK Jr. Yeah? Yeah, that's what it says here. This is... It says here in some detective investigator's handwriting, threat letter to Joe Biden, JFK Jr., anonymous letter, latent fingerprints, four latent fingerprints. I've hooked up with James Robertson, one of New York's finest investigative reporters. Together, we've gained access to previously unseen FBI files that deals with a threatening letter received by Senator Joe Biden back in 1994, before Junior's death. This is our actual discovery and attempts to unravel this impressive but very worrying FBI file. Yeah, this is when Mr. Biden appears to have been a senator at the time. This is. 94. Yeah, it says uh, it was postmarked in Worcester, Massachusetts, to Joe Biden. Dear Senator Biden, you are a traitor. You must die. And it's supposed to be, if you read this, it's supposed to have been signed by JFK Jr. What? Have you ever seen this before? No, this is... You must die. I mean, your vast database, have you ever found this sort of stuff before? No, this is spectacular. This is real. Mm. This is official. This is from the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Washington, D.C., 1994. Mm. And it, it says right here. It's nothing but official. There's stamps all over it. And hang on. You must die. You're a traitor. What was happening at this time? There's a two-month investigation to September, but there's no closure. They haven't filed it off. Do you know what's interesting? It says right here on the document I'm looking at that the author states in part referring to the crime bill, you must die. And now Mr. Biden is of course in the news currently regarding this crime bill. It's incredibly controversial. He's under fire for this now in his current presidential elect campaign that he's, he's running. Could JFK Jr. really have written and then signed a letter to Senator Biden saying, quote, you're a traitor. You must die, unquote. And if it was him, what on earth could have prompted such an extraordinary outburst? We need to find out motive, if there was one. And the answer, it seems, lies with Mr. Biden's controversial 1994 crime bill. Reporter Andy Tillett explains. 
So what we now know as the Crime Bill was originally titled the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act, and it's pretty much the baby of Joe Biden, who oversaw the Senate Judiciary Committee at the time. And while it was outwardly and supposedly an attempt to address the issue of rising violent crime in America at the time, it was also seen pretty much as a cynical attempt by the Democrats to position themselves as being tough on crime. It imposed tougher prison sentences, it provided funds to build more prisons to house these new offenders, and it aimed to fund up to 100,000 more cops. And it backed programs that encouraged police officers to carry out more drug-related arrests. But a lot of people, especially those from the more liberal wing of the Democrat Party, saw this bill as a step too far, and maybe even racist. As much as I love true crime and solving mysteries, sometimes even I need a break from time to time. But in order to do my best work as a detective, I need to stay sharp and keep my brain active. That's why I love solving puzzles and playing games to keep myself sharp, like Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a mobile puzzle game that's totally free to download. You match three of a kind to clear the board, but unlike some other matching games I've played, this one lets you collect characters along the way that help you in the game. It can be a challenge, but it's a fun little game that really anyone can play. With my work, I tend to travel a lot, so I like to play it when I'm waiting for my flight or when I'm on the plane, since you don't need to be connected to the internet to play. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of characters too. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Dick Morris, the political advisor to President Clinton at the time, describes the thinking behind the controversial crime bill. You have to remember that crime was a racist and divisive issue in America back then in a way it has never been since. There was a tremendous increase in crime, and it was really the number one issue in urban areas throughout the United States, and a real driver of racism, because whites were very hostile to blacks, who they felt committed most of the crimes. So when Bill Clinton came along, he was anxious to try to, number one, ameliorate the crime situation, and number two, take the racial sting out of it and make it simply an issue and work as a democratic solution, a liberal solution, to solving the problem. He also outlines the aspects of the bill that alarmed some Democrats. The most controversial feature of the bill was to oppose at the state level the same sentencing system that Senate 1 imposed on the federal level. And then there were tremendous increases in the sentencing of criminals. People who committed three serious drug felonies would literally go to jail for life. They would die in prison. And parole and probation were sharply restricted. And judges' hands were tied and they were forced to meet out very, very strong sentences. So what is this, James? What's this, what's this crime bill? So this was something that Mr. Biden himself was behind as a senator at the time in 1994, that essentially the crime bill itself was to make it easier to incarcerate people. This was incredibly controversial. It ended up being a situation where more people were getting locked up, mostly in neighborhoods or communities that were people of color, which of course meant more people locked up, 
there was an incredible injustice. Many people thought that they were being targeted for their race. And of course, they were having to have more prisons. Some people thought he was cleaning up the streets. Others thought it was just another way to, to try and control a race issue in this country. Here's Senator Biden himself in a speech to the Senate in 1993. It's not difficult to see how his uncompromising language could have been inflammatory to some. We must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents, it doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must be taken off the street. That's number one. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. These are strong words, right? He's talking about predators. He's saying he doesn't care about their backgrounds or the reasons that they might have fallen into crime. Quoting, it doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society, end quote. You could almost say he's dehumanizing these people. He's framing them as an enemy who must be stopped. I mean, it's not a million miles away from fascist rhetoric. And the fact is, a lot of Democrats and liberals and progressives heard this and they were horrified. As a liberal and a progressive, JFK Jr. would certainly have been among those Democrats deeply concerned by Senator Biden's crime bill, and also, no doubt, appalled by Joe Biden's rhetoric. Here's Leon Wagner. John considered himself a crusader in the tradition of RFK and Teddy, particularly, for equal justice for minorities and the poor. And this bill struck him as being something that would throw the poor half of the country and minorities into prison and uh, throw away the key. And he was outraged by the idea that the people who had the least ability to defend themselves would be most vulnerable thanks to uh, Biden's bill. Many of them would wind up going to jail probably doing long sentences. And John saw this as something, a bill that would create kind of an American version of the Russian gulag, where the people that aren't in favor get marched off to Siberia and they're never heard from again. That's why he said it was traitorous and was so angry about it. The bill passed Congress and was signed into law by the president in 1994. So even if Bill Clinton could see past Biden's rhetoric, why then would John Jr. get so furious about it to write a death threat letter? Was it his letter? Or someone using Jr.'s name? Here's author Doug Weed, who has interviewed no fewer than six US presidents 
and served as an advisor to two presidents. He says the Kennedys could often be a political law unto themselves. The Kennedys could be on a different side of issues than some people would be surprised. You know, he was he was concerned with the corruption of the Federal Reserve, which establishment figures today would would just be very upset with. The Federal Reserve is their key to wealth. You know, some companies get $100 million in 0% interest, don't even go to a bank, and other companies don't get anything. So Kennedy was opposed to what today we would call crony capitalism. He probably uh, would have been cheering on some of the things that Donald Trump is doing, for example. Kennedy just preceded the worst period of crony capitalism, and a lot of people wonder how he would have reacted when he saw it. For most Democrats, Biden's bill remains controversial, even today. Reporter Andy Tillett. It's interesting because the crime bill is right back in the news today with Biden as the frontrunner Democratic candidate in this year's presidential elections. It's seen as having led to mass incarceration during the 90s of some of society's most vulnerable people, and especially of disproportionately targeting people of colour. For his part, we should probably note that Biden himself argues that the bill, quote, restored American cities, end quote, following an era of high crime and violence. But it remains hugely controversial. It's against this backdrop that James Robertson and I made our freedom of information requests to the FBI and to gather in a cache of documents and discover Junior's extreme reaction to the bill. We try to pull together the heavily redacted documents that clearly no one wanted unraveled. It was his, yeah. So he's, he's currently fending a lot of heat and pressure in the news right now. A lot of the other candidates across both parties, the right and the left, are using this against him in his current so it's bid enough, to become president. It's enough to anger someone to say, you must die. Oh, absolutely. And, and here it is in this file. It's, it's clear that it, it's, there's nothing ambiguous about it. JFK Jr. They're suggesting in this file is the author of that letter. It says here, he, uh, the FBI agent was advised that Senator Biden received a letter wherein the author stated, referring to the crime bill, you must die, and called Mr. Biden, Senator, then Senator Biden, a traitor. And the original letter at this point was in possession of the United States Capitol Police. This wasn't small fish. This, is, this was a serious, serious issue whatever was going on at this time with the FBI. I'm just unsure of something, James. Um, hang on. There's four latent fingerprints, which are four identical fingerprints. So whoever it is can be identified if their fingerprints are on file and or they consented to have their fingerprints taken. There's no doubt about that. Now, they've gone on about a search of fingerprints, even down to a 29-cent stamp, a watermark on some paperwork that was also discovered, probably the death threat note. Did you see that? Well, the paperwork that I'm looking at in front of me here from the, the freedom of information that we obtained, you can see there's handwriting. It looks like two pages from a ledger. And it's important to note here that there's a stamp that says this is the best copy available. And I can't see or make sense of a single word on these two pages. And then there's a third page, which is completely black, completely redacted. Now that could be from damage. It could just be that the paper quality was so poor. But there's one thing that stands out to me, that these documents and these this envelope was given to the FBI laboratory in Washington, DC. This is serious stuff. 
This is an evidence acknowledgement. The name of the, the agent or the, the FBI file um, are both redacted. So someone's hiding something or doesn't want to be found there. But it does note that Joe Bardem is a victim mm. here. Mm. Uh, and the case number is on it. But, you know, there, there are more questions and fewer answers. That notebook page is fully redacted. I would put London to a brick that that would be the death threat note. I would agree, uh, yeah. And interestingly, in that same folder you've got, you've, you've got this one piece of paper here, which is what looks like a sample of handwriting from somebody. And it's just a, a bunch of words. This is what you do as a detective. You ask someone to just to write a note down and try and match that handwriting. Um, it all hangs like everything else hangs, a bit loose. But certainly there's some handwriting there. Is this a handwriting similar to the what's redacted on your note? This is what we've got to try and find out. Yeah, it's so hard to tell. I mean... There's clearly a pattern. They're trying to decipher these notes and the handwriting and who, who is behind it. Whether it's Junior or, or another person, it's still, it's still not clear to me. The FBI files were certainly heavily redacted, but a few words, a few facts jumped off the pages. One, that Senator Biden had received a letter in 1994 that was a definite death threat. Quote, you're a traitor, you must die, unquote. Two, that it was signed by JFK Jr. Three, that Senator Biden considered it a serious enough threat that he gave it to the FBI to investigate. And four, that the investigation included lifting latent fingerprints from the letter. And latent fingerprints are what we call identifiable fingerprints. You can use them in court. Certainly those prints could tell us, tell the world, who the author of the threatening letter was. Could it have been Junior who wrote the letter? Or maybe someone just framing him or using his name? The question is, what happened next in the FBI investigation? Here's reporter Leon Wagner. Uh, calling somebody a traitor is is suggesting that, I mean, traitors are shot. You know, in, in time of war, somebody who's convicted of, of traitorous behavior can be lined up and shot. And um, Biden would have had to consider the fact that this was a threat. Uh, you, you don't call somebody a traitor to the nation and take it lightly. He was shocked, surprised, and uh, and, and baffled that he would get such a letter from a member of the Kennedy uh, family that he thought were uh, friends of his and people that uh, trusted him and liked him. He thought he was very well aligned until this, but I mean, he knew that uh, Ted was more liberal than he was and was disinclined to pass very tough anti-crime legislation. He knew, Biden knew that Teddy would have been behind John's outrage because Teddy would have said that this bill will lock up the poor and lock up the uh, minorities. And he, he would have um, never thought that John would go off and write a letter like this, but uh, he was behind it because um, he had told uh, Biden in person uh, in a rather hot-headed way um, how much he disagreed with the bill and uh, how opposed he was to it and the damage that he thought it would do to, uh, to minorities, uh, particularly African-Americans. 
For one former FBI agent, other evidence points towards the letter not having come from Junior at all. My name is Jim Ellis. I'm a, a private investigator and a certified fraud examiner, and I was a special agent with the FBI for 29 years. Well, I mean, you know, to begin with, you know, the FBI investigates these type of things all the time, and 99% are from cranks, right? People who are just blowing off steam. And the FBI comes into these things skeptical, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody really means to do harm to a senator or a congressman, they typically don't telegraph their intentions. This particular letter that was sent to Senator Biden, I looked through the lab reports. The striking thing to me from what I saw is, is he mentioned that they were able to raise some indented writing. Now, of course, indented writing is the writing that was made on a page previous to the page that the threat letter was written on, and there's inventions in that page. So they were able to develop indented writing. And if you read it, what they were able to think they saw, the lab people, was, I am writing you, I had a heart attack, missed one $55 insurance pre poly premium, and they canceled, or the canceled me after 18 years. I got a cancellation notice. And I'm 62-year-old. I don't know if it was going to the insurance company. I don't know who it was going to. But it's referring to a 62-year-old person. And at the bottom of it, there's that mass 015-blank-8-2608. And then that six is a phone number. It's a phone number in Worcester, Mass. So this, to me, tells me it's not coming from John F. Kennedy Jr. To me, the next logical step would be running this phone number, trying to determine if this is a Massachusetts driver's license number or if it's a partial social security number, identifying that person and going and interviewing him and telling him to quit sending threatening letters to members of Congress. But if Joe Biden did consider the note a genuine threat, and given the seriousness of such a threat, then what became of the FBI investigation? And why is this the first anybody has ever heard of it? For me, as a detective and James as a journalist, a revelation is often intriguing. But by the same standard, as a detective, I also hate loose ends. I showed our findings to reporter Andy Tillett. So if this is true, and it certainly seems to be, then from what I understand, the FBI just suddenly dropped the case. That's it. Case closed. Move along. Nothing to see here. Why? Why would they do that? Two-month investigation, but this looks like a final report. Typical of what detectives do, you do a final outcome. It says here, without affecting identification, the fingerprints were analysed without affecting identification. So they're saying that they don't know whose prints they are. I wonder if they actually asked JFK Jr. for his prints. See, and latent prints, of course, is... Identifiable. That means identifiable. Yeah. That means so... you can go to court and be proven. And I think at this point, you, you can't expect federal agents to go and ask Junior for his fingerprints. That's just never going to happen. He's a Kennedy. Or maybe it was somebody else masking themselves as JFK Jr. Maybe it's all about mischief. But why would it have got to this level? And this point, and they've invested this much time, I can't see a conclusion here. There's no the, conclusion, but your, your comment's spot on. This much time, they spent two to three months on this. But there's no outcome written down here. This file is FOI, Freedom of Information, but it's incomplete. It's not clear at all, and this file's fantastic. It's so rich with information, but Capitol Hill, FBI, Washington, decide to sign it off 
and they're closing the case verbatim. Are closing this case. Why? There's no out- outcome report. We don't know why they're closing it, who's been charged, who's been exonerated. What is the role, James, of JFK Jr.? I asked Leon Wagner what he knew about the dropped investigation. We were convinced, the FBI, that it was a genuine letter handwritten by John Jr. There was no doubt about that. And they, at the highest level, were deciding what action would be appropriate against an iconic figure like JFK Jr. But they felt something had to be done. That's when director Louis Free got a call from Teddy directly. And Teddy apologized on behalf of John and assured the director that he, Teddy, would take full responsibility to make sure that John behaved himself and made a personal apology to Senator Biden and promise to take no further action, to make no further threats to the senator. And if anyone but the son of John F. Kennedy Sr. had sent such a note? I think they would have been arrested. (laughs) There would have been two FBI agents would show up at your door, handcuff you and take you away. And you would probably be prosecuted for making a threat against a a government official, which is a felony crime and would have been taken seriously. The only way that John got away with it is because his name and his uncle, the senator from Massachusetts, the legacy of uh, his father, who was assassinated and his uncle who was assassinated. And um, no FBI director would have the stomach to prosecute John Kennedy Jr. because it would be wildly unpopular unless he had actually committed an act of violence against a senator. That's why it was dropped. It was strictly because of his name and his connections. Once again, it seems the powerful Kennedy spin machine intent on preserving the good name of the family no matter what the consequences had moved to, as they say, manage the truth. Or made sure the threatening letter was filed away after, of course, being heavily redacted, leaving inquiring minds to mere conjecture, the enemy of all detectives and journalists. The fact that there is no resolution to a six-month investigation where there is so much information, like you say, it It stinks of a cover-up of some kind and lends credit to theories of a conspiracy that the Kennedys have control over the government, over the federal agencies, because if they've got fingerprints, if they've got handwriting samples, it wouldn't have taken them two minutes to have got juniors and matched them up. Somehow, they They either didn't do that or they did, and those files are, are no longer available to anybody. I'll read you the last two and a half lines on the last page of this entire document. Although four latent prints were developed by the laboratory, there are no suspects at this time wherein latent comparisons can be made. Well, it's a gift. Four prints, any detective in the world would be all over that. And they can't compare them. You go up and say, Joe Jr., we want your prints. And yeah, of course, if they, they will also run these prints against their federal database. So anyone who's probably traveled internationally, anyone who's got a driver's license, anyone who's committed a crime, they all have access to those fingerprints. So that also removes the likelihood of this being um, 
you know, a criminal or, or someone who's got a pattern of this type of unhinged behaviour. So if it was JFK Jr. who sent that letter to Senator Biden, then the implication is that the FBI were leaned on by the family to drop their investigation into it? That's a scandal. Are we saying the Kennedys are really above the law? Next time on Fatal Voyage, the death of John F. Kennedy Jr. My digging into the FBI vaults continues and shows Jr.'s growing impetuousness began to go beyond temper tantrums to actually pose a provable threat to his life. Well, everything in front of us here is related to JFK Jr., but this stands out. This is a big red flag for us. A plot to kidnap John F. Kennedy Jr. This is serious. It's not threats to kidnap a child. This is a grown man. The Death of JFK Jr. is hosted by myself, Colin McLaren. It's executive produced by Dylan Howard and Matt Sprouse and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavour Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson and Andy Tillett and the series is written by Dominic Hutton. Reporting by Douglas Montero, the series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Adder. There is so much more to this story and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Fatal Voyage, The Death of JFK Jr. wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>